0: Jonah chapter 4, we have a different one, is 5 to 11, there we go. Uh, the text says, Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah asked God, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it, yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in the night and perished in the night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left as well as many animals? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the journey that we've had in this wonderful book. And just like past weeks, I pray today that you would give us insight and understanding. More than that, I pray, Lord, that we could walk away with something tangible. Asking ourselves, how could we obey what you have said in your word? For your word is given to us and it is profitable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So, Lord God, speak to us. I pray through the preaching of Your Word in Jesus' name, Amen. There's a man by the name of Thomas Terrance, and he grew up in the '60s in my hometown of Mobile, Alabama. So, if you think of the climate of the times, very racially charged and. Tense. Thomas Durant was uh, is a white man who was impacted by all of the cultural uh, talk, the speech, the language that moved him to hate people in subdominant culture or minorities, so much so that he joined the Ku Klux Klan. Because of all the things that were stated, that were being said, he saw people who were minorities or in subdominant culture as enemies of America. Right? That sounds familiar? As enemies of America. So, and and, and he, he wanted to preserve, he wanted to fight for his country. He believed it, like he drank the Kool-Aid, which led him to do some serious crimes some horrendous things. His crimes found him out. He got arrested. He was arrested, but he broke out of prison. I mean, the heart wasn't changed. Prison didn't change him. He broke out. They found him again. Put him in a very tough prison in Mississippi. Now he's isolated. He's in confinement, solitary confinement. No interaction with people. And he did something so that he wouldn't go crazy. He determined that he would read. And so, that's exactly what he did. What did he read? He got a hold to the Gospels. As he's sitting there in his cell, this man who was a part of the clan, he's reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and something got a hold of him. It's not something, but someone got a hold of him. He's looking at the words of Jesus and he sees all of this stuff and tears are coming to his eyes and he is now face to face with his sin so much so that in his cell he trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. He turned from a life of sin and hatred and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loves. And eventually this man was released from prison. Again, Keep this in mind. He was a part of a very hated organization, an organization that hates and then people that hate that organization. He was a part of this right? and he was easily one who would be labeled. You were a part of this hate group, but something happened. The Lord changed him. He was released from prison and eventually this man became involved in campus ministry. Then he was involved in pastoral ministry, in check it. He was a pastor at a racially mixed church. Friends, I don't know about you, but nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. All of us have this story. I used to be, but now God has changed me. Is it true? I used to be, but now God has changed me. We're all here this morning because of a change that has taken place in us. Again, every time I mention the word change, I'm taken back to that great song from Tremaine Hawkins called Changed. A wonderful change has come over me. Wonderful This is not something I initiated. God did this in my life. I don't deserve to be in Christ. None of us here did anything to earn it. You don't make enough money to become a part of the Christian Country Club. There is no country Christian Country Club. I'm just saying that. (laughs) You don't make enough money. You don't have the pedigree You're only here because God says, I love you. You're only here because Jesus on the cross says, I died for Joanne. I died for Russell. I died for Chris. I love them. That's the only reason that you and I are here. For this, we should audibly shout and praise God. I know that many of us don't don't like to open our mouths and say much, but it's okay to Shabbat the Lord every now and then. It's okay to open your mouth and say hallelujah, throw your hands up, because here's the thing, you're not my audience. My praise is not for you, my praise is for him. And because of the change that he has brought in my life, I just want to holler. Sometimes. I don't know if y'all do this, but I'm driving. I'm listening to a song that just sparks something in me and I make a joyful noise in my car. You may not want to hear it, but I'm making a joyful noise. Something has changed in me. And I don't deserve it. I think we echo what Paul said in First Corinthians, chapter 15, verses nine to 10, where he said, for I am the least of the apostles Not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Today we're going to conclude in our sermon series on Jonah. The final verses, verses 5 to 11. I don't know about you guys, but I've enjoyed it. I've learned so much in this book even knowing about all the stuff as the fish and Jonah and him rejected, but there's so much I learned. I hope that you joined me on this journey of learning about the life of Jonah and what he experienced. Now, honestly, it was a tough role for Jonah. It was a tough road for him, right? And, but yet God still used him. Remember, I pointed back to the fact we don't need to look down on, on Jonah because God called Jonah. He didn't call Isaiah. God called a Jonah. He didn't call Ezekiel. He called Jonah to this, this heavy work, this hard work of crossing cultural lines to go to a people that you actually hate to proclaim the word I give you, preach against this city. God called Jonah to that work and he used him. He used Jonah in the life of a wicked people, the Ninevites, a bunch of Thomas Teratts a bunch of evil people. He used him because, as our main point for this whole series states, he used him because God is tenaciously committed to reconciliation with humanity. I don't want want you to get that. I mean, you can extract so much more, but I want you to get this. God is tenaciously committed to reconciliation with humanity. I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down here with the word reconciliation. There is a reason this church is named Reconciliation. I don't know what God would do with us, but the one thing I hope that we would embody as a church is that I could, sit, I could sit next to someone who is vastly different from me, who is in Christ, and I can look at him and her and say, I love you as a brother and sister in Christ. God is tenaciously committed to reconciliation with humanity, He cares about every single human being on the planet. Even the people that we think are unworthy, backwoods, whatever adjective you want to give for a person, God cares for them. Why? Because they're made in his image. They have the image of God stamped on them. So last week, in this last chapter, we started to see Jonah's frustration with God relenting from disaster against the Ninevites. Jonah's frustrated. He's actually frustrated in our text today. But I think frustration is a light word. Something's bubbling in Jonah's soul. He he is angry. And so we're going to finish in verses 5 to 11. In these verses, I want to drive home this point that God, is his, his wish is for salvation, not destruction. Again, I think in our culture, we don't have much room for grace. When a person does something wrong, we immediately want that person to be dealt with. We want that person to be killed, put in jail, or just whatever. We don't want restoration. We want to see that person destroyed. But God, we see in this book, his wishes for salvation. If anyone has the right to destroy a people, it's God. Again, I'm not going to, I know we may have some different political ideologies and I'm not about to get into it. You can debate death penalty or not. I'm not going to. I'm going to say God is the one who gives the death penalty. And he gives it to every human being at a particular time. But it, 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 hear what I'm saying. Um, but God, as we are living, his wish is for relationship. His wish is for salvation. Now I do want to mention this there will be a day of reckoning so I don't want you guys to hear me say that God is uh, we, we should be some universalists that everyone is going to be saved the Bible does not teach that there will be a day of reckoning for the wicked they will be judged but each day that we have to live This day, this day that we are experiencing at 1037, whatever seconds it is, we are experiencing a moment where we should praise God because there is still an opportunity for the lost to be saved. There is still an opportunity. And we also share that God's desire is to use us to share this gospel, to share this good news with those who are lost. Again, don't forget, a couple of weeks ago I gave us a challenge that if we would pray for someone that we could share our faith with, I'm not going to ask you if you fulfilled it because I've got to ask myself the same question. But he wants to use us. Will we make ourselves available? Are there family members, friends, or coworkers you are praying for that they will come to know Jesus? Are there people you are actively praying for daily Who are lost, you know they're lost, but you're praying God save them. Do you believe that God would save them? Do you trust God enough to bring them to mind, to lift them up to the Father, asking God to save? And you may have to do that for years. For years. But again, God ain't slow, He's not slow concerning His promise. And our timing is not God's timing. God knows what he's doing, but our role is to lift them up in prayer. The Bible says this as it relates to, to those who trust in him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, He says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and, ha- and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Again, that just shows that we now are God's hands and feet to now go to a world that's lost and share this glorious message of reconciliation. But I believe our problem is we don't go. Or we don't open our mouths. Again, I'm just talking in generalities here. But we don't open our mouths. We just kind of be like, oh, God, since he's sovereign and he's in control, he'll save them. Right, he is. But maybe he wants to use you and I. And so as we close this series out, there are two things that I want to pull out today. First is that Jonah cared more about his comfort than people. Jonah cared more about his comfort than people. And finally, very simple. God taught Jonah a lesson. He taught Jonah a lesson. So let's begin. Jonah cared more about his comfort than people. The text says in verses 6 to 9, Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. In verse four of this chapter, God asked Jonah a question. Is it right for you to be angry? Then in verse five, it tells us that he left the city. Now, we're not informed on how long it was between God asking him the question and Jonah leaving. We don't know that time frame. But what we can see is that Jonah's departure was in response to God's question concerning his anger. Verse four, it says, God says, is it right for you to be angry? When Jonah left the city, he went east of the city. The text says he built a shelter and he built this shelter to look to cover himself from the sun and to look to see what would happen to the city. What did Jonah think about when he was watching this city to the east? What was going through his mind? The text doesn't tell us, but perhaps he found it difficult that the repentance of the Ninevites was genuine. Have you ever believed that someone who came to the faith, oh, they really saved Uh, that's fake oh y'all don't do that I've done that before Um, uh, maybe Jonah is saying uh, maybe he's finding it difficult that their their repentance was genuine so this is why he would go east of the city to to Texas to see what would happen in his heart he still wants the city to be destroyed maybe they're going to go back to their own ways and God's going to is it between this 40 day period but Jonah is waiting Maybe he answered God's question in his mind about his right to be angry. We don't know, but I find it amazing that we could feel a certain way about someone believing they would not change, but then they actually do. Oh, that person can't. And then, oh, they were just evil. They were wicked. They were they, they were hell raisers. They were doing all of this stuff. And then we bump into them sometime later and it's a total 180. The truth is, that's us. That's you and I. So Jonah went and made himself a shelter. <laughs> but like the fig leaves of Genesis chapter three it was insufficient. So the text says that God provided him a shelter. In a plant. Now, this plant was undeserved grace. It was God's grace to act toward Jonah. Now, this has been God's way of acting in Jonah's life since the beginning of the book. Am I right? It was by grace that God would give Jonah a fish to save him from death. Here's a fish. You can put all of that, like maybe a slimy fish. I don't know, but the fish was Jonah's means of salvation. It was by grace. And now God provides a plant. This plant provided more shade than what Jonah built. And the text says that Jonah loved. He was pleased by this plant. This continues to show God's sovereignty over creation. We can't look at any natural disaster or anything that's happened in creation as outside of God's rule and reign. God controlled the fish. In chapter one, he controlled the wind. He controlled the storm on the seas. And now we see him here controlling a plant and giving the plant to Jonah. The phrase to rescue him from his trouble is literally to deliver him from evil. The heat was a major cause of Jonah's discontent. Now, remember, he's in the east. He's in, I mean, it's hot. He's out there, the sun is beating down on him, so the heat is a factor, but it's also Jonah's internal anger that's a factor. And so God provides Jonah this plant while he's stewing in his anger, listening probably to the mourning and the cry of the Ninevites in the city of Nineveh all of this bubbling up and God provides him this shelter, this shade. But then the text says the next day the plant was gone. See, from our viewpoint, sometimes God moves slowly. How many of y'all think God moves too slow sometimes? You think like, God, come on, like I'm, I'm time is just gone. But then there are other times where God's like, whoa, I wasn't ready for that. My wife and I sure have got a testimony about that when we were uh, uh, in Tennessee, like God showed up, like, oh, we weren't expecting this, right? But this is what we have here. Like, God works very fast here. The text says, when the, day, when the dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. God moved quickly to end Jonah's happiness. He appointed a worm that destroyed the plant. Now, what's interesting is, Jonah wanted Nineveh destroyed, but the only thing that was destroyed in this book was a plant. That's it, not Nineveh, it was a plant. See, destruction came upon something that Jonah cared for, which was the plant Jonah didn't care for, the Ninevites. Next, the text says God appointed a scorching east wind. Just notice this, God appointed a plant, then he appointed a worm, now he appoints a scorching east wind to do what? To beat on Jonah's head. Not only did Jonah lose shade, but now he experienced a horrible wind that caused him exhaustion, frustration. Uh, He's weak because of this 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 wind. It goes from bad to worse for Jonah, not because God hated Jonah, but because God was teaching Jonah a lesson. Friends, do you ever get frustrated with life when God does the opposite of what you think he should do? Do you ever get frustrated? Not only that, but do you get angry when God shows grace and kindness to the very person that you hate? See, this is where we have to keep it in context, because Jonah is hating the Ninevites. Right. And again, we good Christians, we don't ever want to say we hate someone. But when we get from around our bubble and things begin to happen and there are people that we just like, I don't like you. I don't want you around me. And, and you see God blessing them and God working in their lives. Is there, is there ever something in your heart that becomes bitter because of what God is doing in that person or those people? Why does God do this? Again, God's wish is for salvation, not destruction. Peter wrote again in 2 Peter 3, 9 that the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Friends, God wants every human being to know him. So we should have on our hearts what God has on his heart. Right? As people. As people. God used the worm and the scorching east wind to get Jonah's attention and to get Jonah to recognize that his character and his inadequacy have you ever looked back in your life and pondered, I didn't get it then, but now I see what, and you can fill in the blank. Now, we don't have it in the book, but I'm almost sure Jonah would look back and say, yeah, I see now what God was, was doing. But I think we all have that. A lot of times when God is doing something in our lives, we don't understand what he's doing. Oh, God, why, why am I here? Why is this happening? Why is, are the doors not opening here? God, I'm stepping, I'm following you by faith. I'm trusting you, I'm obedient, but it's still happening. And then five, 10 years later, you look back and say, now I see. Now I see. But God asks Jonah in the midst of this, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? God's question is given to Jonah to show how ridiculous his attitude was. But God did this lovingly and tenderly. See, Jonah was, care- he, he, he was concerned more about his comfort. Inanimate objects than people. Jonah answers God and says that it's right for him to be angry. Now he seems that his, his answer was rash and quick. He probably said this because he was hot, but he was also angry. And he gives an answer. But God is showing mercy to Jonah. He's trying to get him to understand that people are more important. I love what this one author said, this woman. She said this. She said, nothing could, be, nothing could more surely convince me of God's unending mercy than the continued existence of the church. We're only here because God's mercy. All, and I said this before. All of the people in church, in every church, are a bunch of I used-to-be's. That's what the church is full of. A bunch of I used-to-be's. I used to be an enemy of God. I used to be anti. I used to be wanting to do my own thing. But now, because of his mercy, I have been brought into this beautiful family. I believe what God is showing us in this book is that uh, we should be motivated by what motivates God. Instead of ne- destroying Nineveh he pardoned and forgave Nineveh even though in just a few short years Nineveh would go back to being that same evil and wicked nation. See our hearts should break over lostness in our world. I'm telling you man when I look at any TV show and I'm just using television and I see the things that's permeating that, that's, 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 that's being given to me through the television my heart breaks when I'm seeing a lot of the things that are so anti-God and anti his way of thinking and way of doing things my heart breaks over lostness it absolutely does and Jesus modeled this in Luke chapter 13 verse 34 when he said Jerusalem Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you are not willing Jesus preached, some believed, some didn't. Peter preached, some believed, some didn't. Paul preached, some believed, some didn't. We will proclaim the gospel, some will believe, some won't. But just like Jesus, Peter, and Paul, we should have a heart for those who are lost. So friends, let's not care more about our comforts in our wants and desires than we do those made in God's image. I think this was the lesson that Thomas Terrance, the man in the clan, he learned. He learned the hard way. But I pray that we learn that lesson and not care about our wants and not God's people. Finally, as we prepare to close, God taught Jonah a lesson. Here at the end of the book, uh, the text says in verses 10 and 11, and the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in the night and perished in the night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left as well as many animals. God now drives home the point. Like God ain't being soft right now. He, hit, he brings down the hammer on Jonah by asking him a question he shows that Jonah had compassion for a plant and not people think about think about that for a minute for those of you who got the green thumb and you got plants now I don't know what plant this was in the Bible so don't don't let me speculate but a plant like you're caring and loving this plant you are fertilizing that plant you're watering that plant. You're making sure that plant is in the sun, but as soon as you see someone made in God's image, you go to hating them. But you're loving that plant. Again, I'm only using that because this is what Jonah, this is where his heart is, right here. And God shows Jonah, man, you did nothing to bring that plant to you. You didn't do nothing. This plant came up because of me, and it's gone because of me. Uh, You didn't cultivate it. You did nothing. It was here one day and gone the next. It's like God questioned Jonah and said, who are you to question me? Who are you to question me? He shows that Jonah lacked understanding and lacked trust in God. So the plant, even though it's part of God's creation, was insignificant in comparison to people. Humans are made in God's image, not plants or animals. Let me say that again. Humans are made in God's image. Now, for those of us who are animals, we do need to be good stewards of the animals. Yes, we should not abuse animals. But let me say this. Animals are not made in God's image. Humans are. Plants are not made in God's image. Humans are. This is the point that God is trying to drive home to Jonah, and he's doing a great job of it. And this included for Jonah the Ninevites. So God said, so may I not care about the great city of Nineveh? God didn't want to destroy them. He wanted to save them. Again, are we right to resent the grace of God shown to another? Are we right to resent that? See, the people of, of, of Nineveh were morally and ethnically naive, not morally innocent. They were not morally innocent. See... Israel had the law, they had the the oracles of God. Paul would say this in Romans chapter two. Uh, They had the oracles of God, they knew the ways of God. The Ninevites, by comparison, they were in kindergarten when it came to religious knowledge. So as this book closes, it draws attention and increases its teaching potential. It ends with a contrast between the ways of God and the ways of Jonah. It's a choice between plants and souls. The ending of the book is left open purposely so that the reader, which is you and me, we can complete the story in our own lives. And here's the well, here's the question. Will we show mercy to others? This is the ending of the book. Like we we don't have an ending. You know, many of you like you like stories. You know, do you get frustrated when you watch a movie and the ending is not clear and you feel like you left hanging? and you're frustrated and you're talking to the TV like they they can hear you. Um, But you you want an ending. Like in the book, we're left like with just a question. But I think the question for us is will we show mercy to others? A man by the name of G.V. Smith has said this, and look at it with me. He says... God will and does act in justice against sin, but his great love for every person in the world causes him to wait patiently, to give graciously, to forgive mercifully, and to accept compassionately even the most unworthy people in the world. To experience the grace of God and not be willing to tell others of his compassion is is a tragedy all must avoid. Messengers of God can neither limit the grace of God nor control his distribution, but they can prevent God's grace from having an effect on their own lives. So I close with this question for you. Are you okay with God loving your enemies? And are you willing to go to them and share the gospel? Are you okay with God loving your enemies? And are you willing to go even to your enemies and share the gospel. Let's pray.